we would be very sensitive to what you're saying to us on this topic. That those of us that are here that are your children, that we would, uh, we would grasp the great truths that Paul is telling us and we would, uh, we would apply it to our lives. We would live according to these truths. I thank you that you love us beyond all of our understanding and comprehension. And that, Father, your will and desire for each one of us is to live a life that you've called us to live, but to love you in life and death and whatever it may be in such a way that, as Paul says, whether we live or die, that we magnify Christ and we honor you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you like the Olympics, like watching the Olympics? I love it. You know, I, I, now there are certain parts I don't like. I like the Winter Olympics and, and some of the uh, Summer Olympics. Now, some of it shouldn't be in the Olympics. It's not a sport. Uh, that's just my opinion. I won't go into any detail on that. But uh, I love watching the Olympics. Uh, years ago, we had an, Olympi- an Olympian that'd come by the fire station every once in a while. He was good buddies with uh, one of the boys that worked with me. name was Shane Hammond. I don't know if any of y'all remember that name or not. Shane's from, actually from Noble, Oklahoma. He was a power lifter and a world champion power lifter. Just a massive kid. Uh, he was just a, a big wad of muscle. But he would talk about their training and what they had to do. Now, his training wasn't like a lot of others. He said, I eat a lot and lift heavy weights. He said, that's, that's how I Now, other folks, they would do everything from running to cycling to, to whatever, getting ready for the Olympics. And, you know, folks, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to train for four solid years to compete. But, you know, one thing I love about the Olympics, every time you watch it, you're always guaranteed to see two things. You know what that is? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. <clears throat> Again, I can't imagine what it would be like to train for four solid years practically every day and get ready to claim that Olympic fame by winning a medal and then all of a sudden having that opportunity to just disappear and vanish in front of you. Not because you weren't good enough, but because you made a mistake. Because you made a wrong turn. Some of y'all may remember back in 2014 in in Korea, at the Olympics there, there was a lady by the name of Teresa Stadlober. And she was a cross-country skier, Austrian skier. And she was a shoe-in to win a medal. Uh, Matter of fact, everybody was figuring that she would win the silver medal in the uh, 30-kilometer race. But here was a problem. She was a professional. She had trained for years. She was ready for this. She was in the top numbers in this event. But going downhill on one of the turns, she turned right and everybody else went left. Well, by the time she figured out what she had done, she didn't finish in second place to win the silver medal like she was supposed to. Instead, she finished in eighth place. Now, there was no medal, but there was a lot of unwanted fame and attention. And you could almost hear the agony in her voice as she tried to explain what happened. And basically she said, I don't know what I did. She said, I just turned the wrong way. And by the time I figured it out, she said, and I went to correct myself, I turned the wrong way again. She said, so I actually did it twice. And she said, so help me, I have no idea why I took the wrong turn. Well, folks, the good news is her wrong turn only cost her a medal. 
Now, as we talked about last Sunday night, you make a wrong turn in life, and many times a wrong turn can cost you more than that. It can cost you your marriage, your health, your job, even your life. Remember, last week we started a series on right turn, and we talked about how to make the right turn so you can live right. Well, tonight I want to talk to you about making the right turn so you can die right. Now, the reason I believe these messages are so important is because, folks, there are two things that are true of every person who has ever been on this world. And you know what those two things are? We live and we die. And we all have that in common. And I don't believe that you're ready to live until you're ready to die. But I also don't believe you're ready to die until you're ready to live. And I believe that Christianity, or relationship with Jesus Christ, is the only thing that gets you ready for both life and death. Now, you can only live once, and at least physically die once. And since I only have one life to live, I want to live it right. And since I'm going to die, I want to die right. Well, there was a guy, and you know him, the Apostle Paul, who spent some time in prison and wrote letters to several churches. And the letter we're going to look at tonight, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. So if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, again, there are several letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament called prison letters. And he wrote these while incarcerated in a Roman prison. Uh, And again, Philippians is one of these letters. Now, I keep coming back to this because I want you to keep in mind that Paul's in prison while he's writing these words. As we study this passage, Paul has no idea whether he is going to live or he's going to die, whether he's going to be executed or he's going to be set free. That's why he writes these words. I want you to look at verse 19 as we begin to read. We'll start verses 19 and 20 of Philippians 1. Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation or my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ, now listen to this, shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. Now let me explain what Paul's saying. He says, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die, but that really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter whether I live or die. Paul says, what matters to me is how I live and how I die. What Paul is saying is, I want to live right and I want to die right. Now Paul goes on to share with us three things that we must have if we're going to die right and live right. So number one, the first thing that Paul shares with us is if we're going to die right, we must have the right view of life. Now, I want to say it again. If you want to die right, you've got to live right. And if you want to live right, you've got to have the right view of life. And Paul's view of life, it was simple. I mean, it was sweet, but it was also powerful. It was also stunning. Because look what Paul says in verse 21. You know this verse. He says, for me to die, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, folks, I don't know if you realize how powerful That verse is what Paul just said. You know, if you examine anybody's life closely enough, you're going to find they can pretty much summarize their life in one word or in one statement. I mean, people could say, some people would say, well, my life is money. Or my life, my life is sex. Or my life is fame. Or my life is popularity. My life is sports. My life is family. Paul very simply states in that verse, in verse 21, he says, my life is 
is Christ. I live because of Christ. I'm alive because of Christ. The very center of Paul's life was Christ. The foundation of his life was Christ. The obsession of Paul's life was Christ. And the love of Paul's life was Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make a strong statement to you, and I want you to listen very close to what I'm saying. If the gospel is true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for you and I, came back from the dead, and He's King of kings and Lord of lords, then understand there is no alternative to Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Any other option other than Christ is no option at all. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to think about your life for just a moment. And I also want you to think about Jesus Christ. Think about your life. Think about Jesus Christ. And then I want to make two statements, and I want you to listen to these statements. Statement number one, Jesus alone is worthy of your life. Jesus alone is worthy of your life. And then statement number two, your life is too valuable to give to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. Did you catch what I'm telling you? Your life in Jesus. Your life's too valuable to give to anything or anybody other than Jesus. And friend, Jesus alone is the one that's worthy of your life. Now let me make another statement here. There are so many people who misunderstand Christianity. And I've talked about this before. Christianity is not something you live when you come to church. It is not a certain way you dress. It's not a certain way you look. Christianity is Jesus Christ. Now, you can take out of Buddhism, and you still got Buddhism. You can take Confucius out of Confucianism, and you still have Confucianism. You can take Muhammad out of Islam, and you still got Islam. But friend, if you take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, you've got nothing. Christianity is Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you the single most important thing that should be true of your life if you have the right view of life. Now, if you have the right view of life, this needs to be the most important thing to you. And it's whether or not the people that you love and that you're closest to, your family, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your neighbors, they see Jesus in the way you live your life. That should be the single most important thing if you have the right view of life. Do they see Jesus in you? Henry IV, when he was king of France, some of his courtiers that were there uh, was complimenting him on how vigorous he was, considering he was on up in age. And, and they said, well, you know, he may be 80 years old, but he definitely don't look 80 years old. This is what he said. He said, the number of our days is reckoned. In other words, they're accounted for. We're going to live so many days, we're not going to live anymore. The number of our days is reckoned. I've often prayed to God for grace, but never for a long life. A man who has lived well has always lived long enough, however early he may die. If you want to die right, you've got to live right. And to live right, you've got to have the right view of life. And there's only one view that's right, and that's, that's if you can say, for me to live is Christ. My life is Christ. That's the right view of life. Secondly, you're going to die right. Not only must you have the right view of life, you need to have the right understanding of death. Look at verse 21 again. Look at the second part of that verse. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, look at that word gain. I think we all know what gain means. It means beneficial, profitable. Now, normally, we would say the only people that would believe that death is beneficial or profitable are those that run a funeral home. 
I'd have to agree with you, but that's not what Paul's talking about. And I think, folks, <clears throat> hardly any of us think about it when it comes to death, that death is being something that's good for us, something that's profitable, something that's beneficial. But that is exactly what Paul is saying to us. If your life is Christ, then your death is gain. Now understand, this is a hard sale, so stay with me. As Christians, we all believe that when we die, we're going to heaven. Do you believe that? And we believe that heaven is wonderful. you believe that? Well, if we believe in heaven and we believe that heaven is wonderful, tell me something. Why do we spend so much time doing everything we can to keep from going there? Now, I realize death, human nature, we don't want to die. But why do we dread heaven so much? I mean, let's be honest. I think uh, George Lewis, the famous boxer, he, he hit on the head. He said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. I think that's true. Paul said to die is gain. In fact, Paul goes on and makes one of the most amazing statements in Scripture. Look at verse 23. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Let me read it to you out of another translation. He said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is by far better. Now, his attitude about life and death, Paul's attitude about life and death, it's 180 degrees different than ours, isn't it? I mean, do you not catch that? Here, here's what we would say if we're honest. All right? We would say we're willing to go to heaven, but we want to stay here as long as we're young and healthy and can enjoy our family, friends, and life. I mean, is that not true? That wasn't Paul's attitude. Paul said, I'm willing to stay here, but I want to go there. We say, well, I'm willing to go there, but I want to stay here. Now, if you believe to die is profitable and to die is gain, you'll say with Paul, just like he did, for me to die is gain. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Now, that attitude is hard to grasp. It's different than ours. To understand this, I think we need, we need to do a little word study. So, look at verse 23. Notice that word, depart. Look at it closely. In the Greek, it's the word analuo. And it's got a specific meaning to it. It means several different things, but it means the same thing in several different ways. And let me explain it to you. The word literally means to untie something or to set something free. So it's used in several ways. One, if you've ever heard me preach a funeral out of 2 Timothy 4, 6, where Paul says, the time of my departure is hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Departure. This is the same word, the root word, that's used in 2 Timothy 4, 6. So it could be a nautical term. And what I mean by nautical term, sailors would use it when they would unloose a ship and pull up anchor to set sail, which is good for a ship. Because think about this. A ship is not built to set in the harbor. Amen? A ship is built to sail. Likewise, believer, I want you to listen to me. We aren't built for this earth. We're built for another place. And when we die, what we do is, according to the Apostle Paul, we depart. We pull anchor. We loose the moorings. And we set sail. We go home to where we're supposed to be. The word can also be a military word. It was a term that was used when armies would finish a battle. When the war was over, they'd sound the trumpet and they would depart. They would take up. They'd pull the tent stakes. They would roll everything up, pack it up, and they would head for home. Now think about this. When the soldier, say today, goes overseas, goes over the Middle East to battle, we call it being deployed. When their tour of duty is over with, they say they're going home. 
Well, let's tell me, Christian, we're deployed here for a time of duty, and we're deployed here to fight the battles of life. But death, for the believers, when we pull up the stakes of our tent, we roll up and we simply go home. Tour of duty is over with. It could also be used as a judicial term. And it spoke of a prisoner being set free from jail. Literally turn loose. Now think about this. In a sense, all of us, we're in a prison here. We're imprisoning bodies that decay and break down. We're in prison in a world that's filled with sorrow, death, tears, and fears. And when we die, we're set free from all that. We're not chained by disease anymore. We're not chained to discouragement. We're not disappointed anymore. We depart. We're set free. It's also an agricultural term. It was used to speak of oxen. After a hard day of work, the farmer would take them back to the barn and he would remove, he would depart that yoke off the oxen. The work was over with. It was time to rest. Well, from that, let me say this. Life for us is filled with work. Amen? At least for most people, it's filled with work (laughs) nowadays. Life's filled with work. I mean, making a living, raising a family, taking care of all those problems. But when we die... We no longer work. That yoke's removed and we go to rest. Now, if that's what it's truly, is truly true about the death of a believer, then if we truly believe that, we have to agree with Paul. Amen? For me to live as Christ, to die, is gain. It really is a gain. And there should be in us that desire to depart and to be with Christ. I remember reading a story about a, a, a preacher, and he was a, a great man of God, of years ago by the name of George Sweeting. Now, Dr. Sweeting was going to a friend of his, visit a friend of his to give his friend and his friend's wife some comfort because his friend's wife was dying of cancer. So he went to comfort him, but he's the one that got comforted instead of them. While he was there, he just could not understand how they could be so peaceful with her impending death. And his friend said, George, let me ask you something. If I told you that Bev was going to Hawaii. Would you be happy and excited for her? He said, well, of course I would. He said, well, brother, she's going somewhere that's far greater, far better than Hawaii. I think we forget that at times, folks. If we're going to die right, we have to have the right understanding of death. Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die, that's gain. <clears throat> now, the third thing, to die right... We must have the right vision of life and death. And I want you to stay with me on this. It's not only when you have the right view of life and the right understanding of death. It's only then when you'll have the vision, the right vision of life and death. Now, you say, preacher, what do you mean by vision? Well, you know you've captured that vision when you're conflicted. You say, about what? Well, let me explain it to you. At times, there's going to be a battle going on in your soul is what to do. Look again at verse 23, what Paul says. Let me read it out of uh, one of our new modern translations. He said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, Paul says something here I think is fascinating. And I'm going to be honest with you and be frank with you, folks. It does not characterize me as it should. But I pray that God uses that to change my mind and my heart. And he has been over the past couple of years. But Paul, he, he thinks about living and he thinks about dying. And he says, I'm torn between the two. I really don't know what to do. Now listen, there's a battle that's going on in Paul's heart between his desire and his duty. 
Now, his desire, Christian, was to leave to be with Jesus, but he had a duty to stay and work for Jesus. Now, here's what he was saying. He said, I'm willing to stay here, but I want to go there. Think of it again. Our attitude, for the most part, is I'm willing to go there, but I want to stay here. Now, I want you to notice, uh, Paul, why he was willing to stay. And it wasn't because, folks, so he could retire and do what he wanted to do or sit on the couch or watch TV or go shopping with a wife or travel the world or see the sights. Now, there's nothing wrong with all those things. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with it. But here's what living meant for Paul. Look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. He said, if I'm going to live in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, he's saying, this means I'm going to keep working for Jesus. If I'm going to live, I'm going to keep working. Now, unlike so many of us who want to live a long time so we can retire, Paul said, I want to continue in life so I can re-enlist. Now, I want to say something right here, and I want you to remember this. Whether you're young or whether you're old, you should never finish living until your work for God is finished. Do I need to say that again? Never finish living until your work for God is finished. So many people reach a certain age and they just quit living. Figure, well, I'm done. I'm going to quit living. You're not through living until God says you're through. And you're not through serving Him until He calls you home. You say, well, there's preachers that retire. Yeah, there's a few. And most of them may retire from the pulpit, but they're still serving Jesus. They're still working. Matter of fact, uh, I, I think that, that God has never finished with us until our work for Him is finished. And then God says, okay, it's done. You can retire. You can come home now. You may retire from work, but you never retire from God's work. I thought about this today, and I thought about some of the men of God I've known over the years, and they're on up in years, and they're still serving. Now, they may not be working active as a pastor or, or things like that, but, but we talked about him this morning, Brother Ernie Perkins. He's 80-something Three, something years old, I can't remember. I don't want to offend him if he hears this, and I'd call him older than what he is, which it wouldn't. wouldn't offend Brother Ernie. <clears throat> he still travels and preaches about 200-something days a year. I thought about other men I've known over years, Brother Charles Amos. He's retired from the pastorate, but he still leads trips. He would lead people on mission trips. He would minister to elderly folks in the church and outside the church. He was still working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because your work may be done, your work for Jesus doesn't end. You say, well, preacher, you, you know, I'm just getting old. I don't want to hear it. Don't give me that. Just because there's snow on the roof don't mean you can't have a fire in the furnace of your heart. And you still can't be working for Jesus. There was a philosopher by the name of Horace Kalin. About a hundred years ago, he, he said this. He put it perfectly. He said, there are those who guide their lives by the fear of death. There are those who guide their lives by the joy of life. The former live dying. The latter die living. Well, I'm going to tell you something, friends. When I die, I intend to die living. And that's the way we should all intend to die. Die living. I want you to look at verse 20. That's what it means. To die living. Again, Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. 
See, the important thing about your life, friend, if you hadn't figured this out, is not how much money you make, it's not how many skills you master, but it's who your life magnifies. That's what's important. Now, does Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, and Lord of lords, does He need to be magnified? Well, let me put it this way. The stars that we see out in the heavens at night, we can't see, all we see is that little light from a long distance, right? But when they're magnified through a telescope, they become so much brighter, so much more beautiful. They become things that inspire all in us. Well, from that, let me say this. Our body, Christian, in life or death is to be a telescope that magnifies Christ, that brings people closer to Jesus. In fact, there's no better way to live your life than every day asking yourself this question. Am I magnifying Jesus Christ in my life? Now, how can we magnify Jesus? Well, it's pretty simple. I think you know this, but I'm going to reiterate them for you. You've heard them before. Jesus with our lips, by the words we say, with our hands, by the deeds we do, by our feet, where the, the, the places that we go. We can magnify Jesus with our heart by the love that we share and show. So whether we live, whether we die, we ought to magnify Jesus Christ. We ought to live in such a way, folks, that people would see Jesus in us, and we ought to die in such a way that they remember Jesus about us. You know, I've used my dad many times in illustration, but I thought, that's a picture of my dad. He lived in such a way that people saw Jesus in him, and he died in such a way they remember Jesus about him. I had somebody I was talking to oh, a month or so ago that brought up dad again and said, you know, anytime I hear somebody say, well, he was a good man. He was a man of God. He said, I can't help but think about your daddy. Now, my dad wasn't a great scholar. My dad wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a writer. He wasn't a singer. He wasn't a famous person. But he magnified Jesus Christ in his life and his death. You say, how did he magnify in his death? He had it, you heard me say he had his funeral planned out. This is what I want. And one of the last things he told me about his funeral is, you tell them about our blessed hope. You tell them about Jesus. I'm not important. Jesus is. Those people know me or they wouldn't be there. He said, but some of them there, they don't know Jesus. So you need to tell them. He told me that about four or five times. And about the last, I said, Pop, I got it. I got it. You've told me several times. I'm going to do that. He said, you're hard-headed. I want to make sure you got it. Well, I'm your son. What do you expect? <clears throat> so, folks, we ought to magnify Christ in our life or death. That's what Paul's saying. My life is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I was reading not long ago about a tribe of, of over in Africa, a tribe, they're Christian people. But there are certain tribes over there facing tremendous persecution. And they pray on a daily basis that they would have a good death. Now what they mean by good death is not that they would die without pain or suffering. What they mean by good death is this. Regardless of how we die, we pray God would be glorified, Jesus magnified, and, our, and the faith of Jesus Christ be multiplied. That's a good death. Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. He said, if I live, I'm going to live for Jesus. If I die, I'm going to live with Jesus. So basically, Paul was saying, heads I win, tails I win. It's a win-win situation. If I live or if I die. Now, I want to close here, and I want to make a personal application. I want you to be totally honest. I want you to fill the blank in. All right, let me give you this. this. 
And I want you to ask yourself this and be tough. If you've ever been honest with yourself, be honest right now. And, and ask yourself this, for me to live is blank. It's what? For me to live is what? Now, there are people who say, well, if they're honest, for me to live is money, for me to live is power, for me to live is fame, uh, for me to live is family. I want you to understand something. If you put anything other than Jesus Christ in that blank, for me to live is Christ. If you can't say that, then for you to die is a loss. It's not gain. Because if you say for me to live is money, when you die, you're not going to take it with you. You say for me to live is fame, i got news for you. Shortly after you die, nobody's going to remember who you are. If, if for you to live is power, when you die, you lose that control, that illusion that you have of control and power. And if you live for family, let me tell you this. If, if you live for family, unless you and your family know Jesus Christ, you'll never see them again or you'll wish you could see them again. So what would you put in that blank? For me to live is what? Let me close right here. There are three things you better get right because you only have one chance to get them right. Friend, you better get your life right. You better get your death right. And we're going to find out next time you better get forever right. And I'm going to be honest with you. Here's the great truth. Only when Jesus is your life do all three of those things, are they right? When Jesus is your life, for me to live is Christ. Now, if you can honestly write that in that blank, then guess what? Your life's right. Your death's going to be right. And your forever and eternity is right. Jesus makes all three right. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I pray for those who maybe are struggling with this topic tonight. They, they don't quite understand how death can be gained. Father, I pray to be impressed upon them that when Jesus Christ, who is life, is our life, then we understand that whether we live or die, we belong to Him. And if we live, we're going to work for Him. We're going to serve Him. We're going to praise Him. And if we die, we're going to live with Him. Father, I thank You for bringing that peace into my heart over the past few years. I thank You for teaching me that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Father, I pray we could all say that. We could all answer that question. For me to live is Christ. Father, I pray if there's one here that can't do that tonight, I pray they'd get serious about life, death, and eternity. And they would come and humble themselves before you. They would surrender their life to Jesus Christ totally and completely this evening. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please. Oh.